Well, um, we're going through a series in, in Philippians. So if you weren't here last week, we began this series. Yep. Um, began this <laughs> series last week on the book of Philippians, and um, it's a book about joy. And I don't know if you were in your cell churches or Sunday school classes, but I want to throw out a question that uh, you may have asked, uh, been asked, talked about last week. question is, um, how is your level of joy? How joyful are you today? Think about this question. How joyful are you this morning? Uh, if you think about that, maybe you're thinking about all these different things in, in your life. Paul writes the book of Philippians in part to talk about the fact that there can be joy right, no matter what the circumstance that we're going through in life. We hear this a lot, don't we? We hear that um, there's a difference between happiness and joy. There's a difference between being happy and being joyful. We hear this all the time, don't we? Uh, in having a couple different conversations with folks this past week, it seems like there's um, a little bit of confusion as to what that difference might be. I know people can define them uh, synonymously. Other people can define them in different ways. But for uh, our, our, our purposes, I, I want to say, um, I want to kind of delineate between happiness and joy in, in this way. Um, happiness comes from the same word, uh, the same root as the word happening, okay? What in the world does that mean? It means that happiness is based upon what is happening in our lives. Very simple, isn't it? Happiness is a circumstantial kind of feeling, a circumstantial kind of emotion. So if something good is happening in your life, then you can be happy. It's, it's really pretty simple. So I, I like this girl, and she likes me back. Therefore, something good happens, I'm happy, right? This is probably what some of you might be thinking. Or I took a test last week. I got my test grade back, and I did really well. This is a really good thing that's happening to me, so therefore I'm happy. I got a new car last week. Not me, but maybe, maybe some of you did. Um, I got a new car last week. Therefore, something good happened to me. Therefore, I'm happy. Right? Happiness is based upon what's happening in your life. But just as easily as something good can happen to your life, just as easily something bad can happen to your life. So the girl who likes you, all of a sudden, she doesn't like you anymore. This is a bad happening. Something bad is happening to you. Therefore, I'm not happy anymore. That new car that you got, somebody went to the shopping mall, and they parked a little bit too close to you, and they dinged up your car. And you look at it, you're like, oh, man, this is bad. What's happening? Something bad is happening. Are you happy? No, I'm not happy. This new shirt that you bought, you thought it was so cool. You bought it last year because it was on sale the winter season, and you put it in your closet. And now you look at it, and it's got moth holes in it. Like, I was happy when I bought this for $5 on sale, but now that I look at it, something bad has happened. All of a sudden, I'm not happy anymore. You see, happiness is based upon our circumstances. And as our circumstances ebb and flow, rise and fall, as our circumstances, as good things happen to us, we're happy. Bad things happen, we're not happy. Just as quickly as things come and go, as happenstances come and go, so too does our level of happiness. Now, as we read through the book of Philippians, this short little letter, Paul says, there is a way that no matter what you are experiencing in life, you can still be joyful. Wouldn't we want that? And no matter what is going on in my life, whatever is going on in my circle, no matter what is happening to me, there can still be this overwhelming, overriding, all-encompassing sense of joy in my life. And the question is how? How does that happen? How do we have joy no matter what the circumstances are? Are in our lives. We've got a crummy job, yet I could still be joyful. The people that I was best friends with have turned their back on me, and yet somehow I can be joyful. 
I can have no money in my bank account, and yet somehow I can be joyful. Everything, World War III may be breaking out in my home, but still there can be joy in my life. How? That's what we're going to talk about today. Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 26, I believe is what we're going to look at. Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 26. Paul, again, he's writing from a jail somewhere either in Rome, Ephesus, we're not altogether sure. But this is what he says, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. This is God's word. It says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This is God's word. Very cool, very rich, very full passage. Now, Paul, he's writing. Remember, he's, he's, he's talking about um, the situation. He's writing from jail. He's in prison. He's chained to these Roman guards all around. And yet he's saying, you know what? Uh, four times in, the, in, this, in this passage, he says, there's joy in my life. How in the world can he have joy while he sits there? Now, I'm going to do something that you're not supposed to do maybe until later on in the sermon. But I'm going to tell you the reason for his joy. I'm going to tell you the secret right out front. Verse 21, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he's saying, this is how I can have joy no matter what the situation is because my life is all about Christ. For me, to li- live is Christ. Now, if I were to ask you that question, if you were to fill in that blank, what would you say? For to me, to live is blank. What would you say? What would you say? See, for the Apostle Paul, everything about his life, everything about his life was wrapped up in this one all-encompassing desire for more of Jesus Christ in his life. That's what his life was about. Everything about his life, it wasn't about uh, my reputation, it wasn't about my fame, it wasn't about my security, it wasn't about my money, it wasn't about my comforts. Everything about his life was all about Jesus Christ. And if he, as long as he's alive, saying the only reason I live is because of Christ. That's why I live and that's what gives me meaning in life. You go to his Facebook page, the Apostle Paul. I don't know if he has one. I don't think he does unless someone made it for him. But you click on the info tab, activities, praising Jesus. Loving Jesus, knowing Jesus, singing about Jesus, praying to Jesus, talking about Everything is about Jesus. His interest, there's only one, Jesus. That's it. His fan page, the only one. I like Jesus. That's it. 
That's it. Everything about his life was about Jesus Christ. And so he can say, you know what? It doesn't matter. If, if life is about Christ, and no matter what happens to me, it doesn't matter because it's about him. That's what my life is about. So the question again, what is your life all wrapped up around? Someone were to say your name, Ruby. Oh, well, the first thing that comes to your mind, they say your name, Isaac Lee, first thing that comes to your mind. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? When they ask about you, they think about you. They say your name, Charlie Lee, bam. Here's, a, here's another way to put it. When there's a lull in your conversation, I don't know how many times there's a lull in Paul's conversation, but just kind of like, soci- I took this class called Sociology of, of, of Organizations. They said in any, any room, average size room, every seven minutes there's a silence. And you ever have that time where everybody's talking and then all of a sudden it gets quiet and someone breaks this awkward silence by saying, awkward silence, right? If there was ever an awkward silence in Paul's conversation, it would automatically gravitate to, hey, you know, Jesus, he, he died for me. In that awkward silence, that's where his mind went. What about you? In your conversations, awkward silences, where does your conversation turn towards? Right? Have you seen that new episode of Bleach? Oh, my gosh, it's so good. Have you? Oh, my gosh, did you hear what Snooky said on Jersey Shore, right? Maybe some of y'all are like that. Or, oh, my, did you know, last week, Arian Foster ran for 231 yards and three touchdowns. It was the greatest uh, first ever week uh, by a running back since O.J. Simpson. Maybe you talk about fantasy football. We talk about, oh, my, Taylor Swift, that new song. Oh, my, beautiful. So amazing. Such a mystery that she could write such songs like that. Where, do you, where, does, your, where does your conversation go in those quiet moments when there's a, when there's a, <coughs> a lull, a silence? And you're talking with people. See, here, here's the thing. Whatever it is for you, for me to, for, for, to me to live is school. For me to live is shopping. For me to live is Jersey Shore. For me to live is, is Justin Bieber. For me to live is boys. Whatever that might be in your life. Here's the reality that for great many of us, the great majority of us, we would probably say, for me, to live is me. Right? For me to live is me. My life is wrapped up in one all-consuming passion that's about me. And so if I'm comfortable, I'll be happy. If I succeed, I'll be happy. If I do well in these things, I'll be happy. You know, that's, that's, it's natural because that's the way we're born. But Paul is saying there's something else that I live for that drives me to find a joy that is not dependent upon circumstances, and it doesn't have to be. He says, for me to live is Christ. And when we live for Christ, when he becomes that all-consuming passion of our lives, things begin to change in our lives. Three things happen according to this passage. And what I, I was talking with someone this week, what I think we're beginning to see in the book of Philippians, what Paul does for 10 weeks, we're going to look at this. I think Paul is just going to attack joy from, from 10 different perspectives and talk about it from all different angles and say, here's how we find joy in this life. And here in one thing in particular he's saying is when we find joy, we find it in Christ alone. For us to live is Christ, and then three things begin to happen with our lives. Here's the first thing, that hard things become God things. Hard things become God things. Verse 12 says, now I want you to know, brothers. Now, remember Paul is in jail, and you've got these, he's got these guys writing from Philippi. Maybe he's got a guy named Kyle. He's got a guy named Daniel. He's got a guy named John. Where it might be? They're writing. They're wondering, Paul, what's it like in jail? What is it like? Are you eating well? Are the guards treating you okay? What kind of food are they giving you? How are you sleeping? They want to know all of these things because they know that in just a week's time, he might be executed. 
or he will know whether he'll be executed. And so they're asking Paul, what is jail like? What is it like? What do you do there? Are you okay? And so he writes, and in every, every letter, I, uh, we talked a little bit about letters in the, uh, in the Mediterranean times last week. It always begins with a greeting, and this is an introduction of, of gratitude and thanksgiving. And when they begin to transition into talking about their lives, this is what they say, now I want you to know. And then what follows is a statement about their present situation. And so in verse 12, he says, now I want you to know, brothers, as they're wondering, how are you doing? He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. In one statement, he shifts the focus away from himself, okay, away from himself, and he begins to put it on uh, the move of the gospel in the lives of people, right, in the place where he's at. He begins to talk about, not about himself and what's going on in his life, but he begins to talk about, as a result of my suffering, this is what's going on in the prison guard because of the, uh, uh, in uh, for the sake of the gospel of Christ. And so as he's talking about this, that's what he's doing. And he's saying, Here, here's what we have to understand. Because my life is not about what's going on in the prison for me. My life is about Christ. These hard things become God things. And he, the word that he uses is very interesting. He says, has really served to advance the gospel. Uh, here's what this word means. This was a military term, this word advance. And here's what it means. It means that as an army was going and, and was advancing, there would be these people who would chop down trees, woodcutters, and they would, as they approached the forest, these woodcutters would go before the army and they would chop these trees down to clear the path to make it possible for the army to go forward. That what's happening here is that these woodcutters would go and make a way where before a way was not possible. To do what was, in, to, to go into a place that was impenetrable, the woodcutters are doing that. That's what it means to advance something. And so what Paul is saying here is that my time in prison was the wood-cutting effect that was chopping away all of these obstacles so that the gospel could go forth in a way that it could not have gone before. That's what my suffering is doing. He's saying the hard thing is actually a God thing. He's not saying I'm, I'm seeing it in a different way. He's saying the very, the very fact that I'm in prison is the only reason, is the only way that the gospel can go forth where I am. As a result, as he's attached and chained to these Roman guards, they're not hearing him complain. They're not hearing him talk about, oh, my life stinks. I've been unjustly put in jail. They're hearing him praise God. They're hearing him talk about Jesus. They're, they're poking him, and he's bleeding Christ all over them. As a result, he's saying, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Some of you, like Paul, may be in a situation that you never chose to be in. Some of you are in a very difficult place, and you're like, I don't know, how, why in the world am I in this situation? And according to the Apostle Paul, he's saying, if Christ becomes our life, then I want you to consider this. Could it be that the reason you are there is for the very specific and the only purpose that the gospel could go forth through that situation in your life? And maybe some of you are in eighth grade. It's your second time in eighth grade. Man, I really wish that. Why couldn't I be in ninth grade like everyone else? Then could it be that there is a reason, there is an eighth grader at your school who needs to know the gospel, and it wouldn't come to them apart from you? Why in the world am I in this cruddy, dead-end job for 15-plus years? I can't get another job. I can't quit this job because I can't find another one. Why in the world am I here? Why have, why have I been in this company for the past 15 years? And you're wondering... 
And God's saying, maybe, maybe you're there because you're the one who can bring the gospel to somebody at your company who desperately needs to hear. Why am I in this cruddy family? Why am I in this family where nothing good is happening? Could it be that that hard thing is really a God thing? Could it be that that difficult thing has really served to advance the gospel through you? There was a, a guy named David Ring, and some of y'all have heard uh, me talk about him before. He was the youngest of, of eight kids, and when he was born, he was born with cerebral palsy. And so he couldn't talk properly, and he couldn't walk properly either. So everywhere he went, people would make fun of him. They would say, why can't you talk right? Why can't you walk right? And everyone would make fun of him. By the time he was 14 years old, both his mother and his father had died. He was being raised by his older siblings. But he would always uh, just complain to God and say, God, why, why do I have this disease? Why do I have this, this, this situation? Why do I have this illness in my life? And he would complain. And he would lie on his bed at night. And he said, God, can you just take my life? Just kill me. Just remove my life from me. I don't want it anymore. My life stinks. It's awful. I don't know what, I don't know what there is, what purpose there is for me to live. People just make fun of me, and I wish that I could die. He had a death wish over his life. But one older sister would keep on inviting him to church, keep on saying, come to church, come to church, come to church. It'll help you out. So one day he came to church just out of bitterness, out of anger, and he sat there, and he's just steaming and, and spewing out curses and, and insults at the preacher in his head. He just said, I, I wish you would just shut up. And as he tells the story, he says, the moment he said, I wish you would just shut up, he says, when he shut up, God began to speak. And he just began to speak into his heart and tell him that he loved him and tell him that he cared for him and tell them that he had a purpose in this life. Make it a long story short, David Ring gave his life to Christ that day, and he just began testifying about Christ. He said, you know what? That night he gave his life to Christ, he said, I'm a nobody. I have cerebral palsy. Everybody makes fun of me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody gives me the time of day. But you, I believe, can make me a somebody. And if you would do that, then would you come into my life? And he said, that day his life changed. And for the, for the past 30 years, he's been telling people about Jesus Christ. He says, from that moment on, he, he began to say, you know what? I know God has a plan for my life. And somewhere along the line, somewhere along the way, he began to pray this prayer. He said, God, I thank you for my cerebral palsy. He's become a preacher now. You can see him on TV. You can see him on the internet, David Ring. He says, thank you, God, for my cerebral palsy. Because whenever anyone else talks, people don't listen to them. But because I talk differently, because I talk slowly, because it takes me a long time to communicate, people listen to me. This thank you, God, for my cerebral palsy. And at the end of each sermon, uh, when it's on TV, he'll look at the camera, he'll say, my name is David Ring, and I have cerebral palsy, and I preach the gospel. What is your excuse? And what happened to him has really served to advance the gospel wherever he is. Maybe some of you are like, you know what, my life, my life stinks. Uh, maybe some of you feel like, I, yeah, I've come from Korea. I hate the fact that I came from Korea. hate the fact that I'm here. I hate the fact that people call me an FOB. I hate the fact that I can't speak Korean as well as I used to when I was in Korean, so people make fun of me here. I'm sorry, in Korea. I hate the fact that I can't speak English perfectly, so people make fun of me in America. I, I, I hate the fact that I'm tied and, and stuck between two different worlds, that I'm not perfect at Korean. I'm not perfect at English. I don't fit in anywhere. Maybe a lot of you feel that way. We were at a retreat a, a, a few weeks back, and um, we have a guy who's kind of like that, a guy named Hong who's sitting up here. And there was a, there was a, a group of a couple women, just really anointed women of prayer, intercessory prayer, 
people. And they would pray, and they would just uh, see uh, visions and dreams, and they'd just speak into people's, people's lives. But the problem was they, were, they weren't even fobs. They were still on the boat. They were completely Korean. They, they don't speak any English. And so as they're praying for people, they're praying in, in Korean. And, and, and our folks, there's about 10, 12 of us who went. Our folks were like, I don't understand what she's saying. So Hong would sit by each person. And as she would, they would pray for these people. They, she, the ladies would say, tell him, this is what, this is what I'm, I'm praying. And so Hong would sit there and he would tell these people, this is what uh, these prayer women are praying for you. And the hearts of our people were so blessed and so encouraged and so full. I remember that night, Hong was like, you know what, DL, I'm so glad. And I, I, always, you know, I wasn't always sure why you know, I speak English, I speak Korean, but I see that that has become an opportunity for me to be a blessing to others. And what has happened to him, his parents coming from Korea, has really served to advance the gospel. What are the circumstances in our lives that we feel like, you know what, I'm put here and I don't know why, I don't like it. Could it be that God has you there because that's the way that he intended for the gospel of Christ to go forth in impenetrable places in your life? Because when Christ becomes everything, we, reoriented, we reorient everything about our lives so that we begin to see that hard things are really God things. That's the first thing. The second thing that Paul says is that bad things become good things. Verse 14 says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Have you ever had a time in your life when you saw somebody suffering and their suffering made you Look at what they were suffering for, and it caused you to say, you know what, I want, I want what they've got. Or there's something about the thing that they're suffering for that makes me want to, that makes me want to see what that's all about. Paul is saying, my suffering, everyone looks at that. You Philippian church, look at my suffering, and you say, oh, poor Paul. I, that's so sad. I feel so bad for Paul. Paul's saying, you know what, I don't, that's not how I feel. Says because of my suffering, other people are becoming bold and other brothers who are in jail who are scared to preach the gospel, a boldness and courage is rising up within them because they see me suffering and they're preaching the gospel with even more courage and faith and fervor and boldness. He's saying, don't be concerned. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Don't cry for me, Philippi, because what is happening in me is serving to strengthen and embolden the saints of God in prison. And we look at these stories, and their stories need to be told because it gives us faith. Whenever I hear stories of people like that, uh, my heart, my faith, my courage just rises up, and I say, I want to live like this for you. God, I want to live for you. When I read through Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of faith that talks about men and women who gave their lives to lions, who gave their lives to the sword, who gave their lives to the fire, it makes me say, God, I want to live with that kind of boldness. I want to live with that kind of a fervor. I want to live with that kind of a passion. There's a girl, 17 years old. And this is the age of some of y'all. Maybe people like Sue Ha, people like um, Sue. <laughs> 17 years old, high school student, right? Janice Yoon. Right? 17-year-old girl named Mary in Lebanon. At the time when Muslims invaded her house, they had guns, they had knives. And just filled with rage and hatred towards Christians, they barged in her home. They took her mother, took her father, and they said, if you renounce Jesus Christ... If you confess the Muslim creed, then we'll let you go. And as she thought about it, she said, Jesus Christ had this same opportunity 
He had the same opportunity to deny everything that he knew was right and to spare his life, but he did not. He didn't. For the joy set before him, it says, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he gave himself over. And Mary said, I will do the same. And she said, I will not deny Christ. And so they took a gun and they shot her right in the back. She fell limp. Two days later, some people came into the home. They found mom and dad. The rest of the family had died, but they found Mary. She was still alive. But a bullet had shattered her spinal cord, left her completely paralyzed. Her arms were hung like this, bent at the elbows. She said for the rest of her life, this is what she would be like Jesus on the cross. And as she's telling her story, she says, I will never be able to hug anybody for the rest of my life. I'll never get married. I'll never be able to do physical work. But the rest of my life, my life will be a prayer for the Muslims. The same people who took the same people who took a knife and slit my father's throat, the same people who stabbed my mother and killed her, the same people who shot my back, my life will be lived as a prayer for them. And one missionary in Lebanon some years ago said, daily people are coming to saving faith in Christ. I think about her life. Like, that's us. That's people like Sue. That's people like Janice. That's people like Joyce. That's people like us who are living for Christ, saying, for me to live is Christ and nothing else matters. For me to live is Christ, that way even bad things become good things for the sake of the gospel. If Christ can be exalted, then nothing else matters in my life. And there's a joy rising up within that 17-year-old Lebanese young lady, a joy that cannot be taken away no matter what the world tries to do to her because in her life, Christ is everything. But that's not the only hardship and suffering that Paul is going through. It says in verse 15, it says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Here's the other hardship that Paul was going through. Here's the other bad that Paul was going through. Paul was in jail, this great apostle, this great preacher, thrown in jail. And there are some people, other believers, who are going around and they're preaching the gospel. And a lot of them were doing so uh, just with, with good motives, sincerely, out of love for Christ and the kingdom's expansion. But there are, some other, there are some other guys in there. Yeah, maybe they were probably Christians also, but they saw Paul as competition. And even as Christians, we feel like that sometimes, don't we? We look at fellow brothers and, and sisters and say, you know what, they're a little bit more outgoing than me, and we get jealous of them. They're a little bit more gifted than me, and we get jealous of them. They sing a little bit better, and so we get jealous of them. They do a little bit better in school, we get jealous. And there were people like that in Paul's day, preachers. And they were jealous of Paul, and so they saw that Paul is in chains. This is my opportunity to toot my own horn. This is my opportunity for me to advance. And so they would preach the gospel, but they would badmouth Paul as well. They would go and they would do their gospel thing, but then they would speak ill of Paul so that when Paul got out of prison, that these guys would be seen as the best of the preachers. And so how is Paul going to respond to all this stuff? They're like, Paul, they're talking trash about you. Paul, they're, they're trashing your reputation. Here's what he says in verse 18. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way Christ, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He's saying, look, in all of our lives, bad things are going to happen. The question is, will you use that as an opportunity to exalt Christ? Because in every situation, in every circumstance, we have a choice. 
There were Christians in jail and there were non-Christians in jail. They're looking at Paul and they're saying, is he going to exalt Christ or is he going to bring down the name of Christ? In every situation, you and I have the opportunity to do this. In the good situations, the question is, will we receive the praise or will we deflect praise to Christ? In difficult situations, will we still exalt Christ or is it going to be about my comfort? The fact that why am I in jail? Why am I eating this kind of food? Why is this in a dark, dank uh, prison cell? Why am I here instead of these guys? The question is, will we exalt Christ, whether in the good times or the bad times? And Paul's like, you know, it it doesn't matter to me what they say about me. My name, my reputation, whether people drag my name through the mud, that doesn't matter. The important thing is that Christ is preached, that he is exalted, and that's all that matters because for me to live is Christ. If, if you can imagine maybe uh, being, I don't know, you work for a company. Okay, here you work for a company, you're one of the managers in this company. Let's call it a, uh, a restaurant. You sell, maybe they sell chicken wings, something like that. So you're a manager in this, in this restaurant, and you've been devoted to it, you've been faithful to it, you love this chicken wing place, and you would do anything to see it succeed. You'd do anything to see it grow. You'd do anything to see people come and, and to delight in the chicken that you offer and that you sell. All of your life is spent on, on, on making this company become the greatest chicken wing factory that it could become. You've got this other manager here. This manager is a little bit jealous of you because he, you've been there a little bit longer than him. In there a little bit longer, you can shake the wings a little bit faster. You can do things a little bit more expediently. You can do things without being as stressed out. You can handle the mean customers a little bit better. And so this other manager gets a little bit jealous of you. And he goes to the owner and he he starts talking trash. Did you know this other guy? And I I saw him. uh, I saw him one day. The customer ordered 100 wings. I saw him take out three and eat them for himself. He begins to talk badly about him. You know this guy? I... I saw him secretly write down the recipe for your special sauce. I saw him put it in his pocket, and, and I, I think he's got plans to start a new chicken wing store right across the street from you. He begins to tell all these lies. You know what? Um, I saw him um, squeeze dishwater into the sweet tea last week. I saw him do that because he, he was watching some commercial, and he saw them do that, and, and so he, 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 he began to do that also, and I saw him. And he just began to talk trash about it. And so this chicken wing owner comes, and he calls this manager in. He says, you know, based on allegations that this other manager has made, I think, uh, I think I, the only course of action is, is to let you go. How would you feel if that was you? How would you feel if, if, if that was you, the manager of, the, of this place? The way that the apostle Paul responded was like, you know what? You know what? It doesn't matter what they say about me. The only thing is if this is better for the company, the only thing that matters to me is that our company, is that our restaurant, our store does better. That's all that matters to me. And because of that, if it does, I'll rejoice, regardless of what they say, regardless of what happens to my reputation. No matter what, if our business does better, that's the only thing that matters. And that was the line of the Apostle Paul. Because it doesn't matter to me. The only thing that matters is that Christ is preached that his kingdom goes forth, and that his agenda is advanced, that Christ be glorified even at my expense. So hard things become God things. Bad things become good things. And then the last thing. Here's the last thing, and I think this is something that we need to understand. The last thing that Paul says is that the worst thing becomes the best thing. So here's Paul. About a week later, he's going to find out he's going to be executed or not. 
he knows that he faces one of two options. One, he's going to die. Two, he's going to live. That's it. It's the only two options. He's thinking about this. He's thinking about these options in his life. He's thinking about these, this dilemma in his mind, to live or to die, which is better? In any rational, sane human being's mind, the choice is crystal clear. Anything is better than death. Anything is better than death. And so the question is, should I live or should I die? The answer is simple. But for some reason to Paul, there's a dilemma. Here's this dilemma. Verse 22. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Why in the world is Paul saying, here's what he's saying, here are my two options. If I continue to live, it's better for you because I can teach you the things about Christ. I can help you to find increasing joy in him. I can help you to be everything that you're meant to be. If I live, that's what it means. However, if I die, then here's what it means. Here's what it means. That these, all these times I've been shipwrecked, all these times I've been stoned, all these times I've been lashed 39 times on my back, all these times I've been living with this thorn in my flesh, all these things would be gone, and I could hear my Lord Jesus Christ say, enter into your rest. Think that's what it means for me to die. He's like, it's so much better for me to die. This is a no-brainer for me. How many of us can say that? How many of us can say for me to die is the greatest thing that could possibly happen to my life? We do everything we can to avoid death, don't we? But for some non-sadomasochistic reason, Paul can say for me to die is to gain. How could he say this? Because deep in his heart, he knew that for me to live is Christ. So once again, we go back to this place. What is it for you? What is that blank for you? For, to me, to live is blank. If for me to live is family, then for you to die will be to be separated from them. It's a loss. If for you to live is basketball, then to die is to leave all that behind. If for you to live is money, then to die is to, is to have all that stuff taken away. If for you to live is yourself, then to die is pain. But for some reason, Paul can say, I would, I would rather, in a million years, I would rather choose to die. Because dying is gain, because to live is Jesus Christ. And if I were to die, then the only thing that would happen is there'd be more of Jesus in my life. And I think this is why we take great, such great uh, consolation and comfort when, when, when James's brother, Kenny, when Pastor Kenny passed away, when he died is because for him, literally, we think that he could say to die is to gain because for to him to live was Christ. And yeah, we feel the pain. The family feels the pain in an acute degree. But for, but for Kenny, dying was such great gain to him because to live was Christ. And anyone who can say for me to live is Christ, we will over and over and over and over say the better thing for me is not to live, but to die is to gain. 
during the, about 100 years ago, Boxer Rebellion in China, there was this missionary who's captured. He's about to get killed. He's about to get uh, beheaded with a sword. The executioner was, uh, said, I'm going to chop your head off, so put your head right here. He brought up his sword to kill him. As he brought his sword down, he changed his mind, and for some reason, he decided not to kill him, and he let this missionary go free. And the missionary, as he was telling this story, he told his friend, I felt the cold blade of the sword on the back of my neck, and when he relented, the first thought that came to my mind was this bitter disappointment that I was not going to see my Savior that very day. Because for him to live was Christ, to die was gain. See, that Chinese missionary said the same thing that Paul said many years ago before they came to that place in time. They made a vow, my life will always honor Christ. Whether I live or die, I belong to him. He bore my sin. I owe this life to my saving king because he knew that. Because he knew that. He said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain to the supremest measure. But what was Paul's decision? At the end of it all, he said, you know what, I'm torn. But here's what I'll choose. If I had to choose, I will lay my desires underneath the desires of the Philippian church. Say, Because of you, because of your joy in the Lord, I will stay if that's the choice I have to make. And I'll stay because of you. Once again, we see for the second time in two weeks, Paul doing the very thing that in chapter four, he would tell and plead with the Philippians to do. I'm sorry, in chapter two, he would say, don't consider yourself more higher than you ought, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Here's what Paul was doing. He was putting others before himself so that he could tell them the exact same thing that he told the Philippian church, Corinthian church, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, because Jesus Christ had this same dilemma. Jesus, what would you rather have? To hear the angels in heaven sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The praise and the light of all the celestial beings. Would you rather have that, Jesus, or would you rather be cursed by people whom you came to love? What would you rather have? What would you rather have, Jesus, a... a, an intimacy with a father that from eternity past was never before broken, was unbridled in its passion and intimacy. Would you rather have that? Would you rather hang on a cross and not even be able to call him your father, but to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What would Jesus rather have? What would you rather have, Jesus? Would you rather stay in the comforts of heaven or would you come to become sin? You who knew no sin becoming sin so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. What would you rather have? Jesus didn't say, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. But for me to live is the harvest. And to die is their gain. Because if you taste that, if you've seen that, if you've experienced that, he bore my sin. I owe this life to my saving king. And we too say with the Apostle Paul, God, make this true of me, that for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, that I would say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let's pray together. Can we just pray to the Lord and say, Lord God, here's my heart. I know that it's easy for me to live for so many other things. 
But I pray that you would help me to see clearly the beauty of Christ and the gospel so that I clearly would be able to proclaim you and declare you and to shout and sing your praises to the ends of the earth. That it would be true of me that for me to live is Christ so that dying would be gained because I gained more of Christ in my life. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's come before the Lord for a minute and just pray that to him. We respond. Take a moment to pray. We commit our hearts to him. great and awesome God. You know, when we see fellow believers resting and relaxing in comfort and convenience, lounging, that does not inspire us to live, to honor you. But when we see other believers, other brothers and other sisters fighting and standing, even suffering and giving all of themselves for the sake of the gospel, that makes us want to live for you. Father, I pray that we would not be the kind of people who would just be spectators in this gospel moving throughout the world, that we wouldn't be people who just sit back and wait, give our lives to Christ, and then one day ride on this glory train to heaven. No, we don't want to be like that, God. I pray that you would help us to be a people who say with all of our lives that for me to live is Christ and to die would be gain, that for me to live is to see the joy of the nations, the joy of the harvest, the joy of the peoples coming to know you. That would be my life. And I pray that we'd be willing to lay down our lives in suffering and sacrifice so that Christ might become greater, even if it means we become less, that Christ would be exalted, even if it means our name becoming less. Father, we pray that you would raise up a people who are bold and courageous because we've been captured by a love that was bold and courageous, that we would owe our lives to this saving king. Change us, mold us, make us that we would gladly, joyfully, for the joy that is ours, go to the ends of the earth for your name, for your glory. In Jesus' name.